listening to a podcast from The National. I'm Nasr al-Wesmi, and this is Beyond the Headlines. Today, we're bringing you an interview with Jamie Angus, director of the BBC World Service Group. He spoke to The National's Nick Webster in our Abu Dhabi studio about the BBC's efforts to curb the proliferation of fake news. While the term has become somewhat diluted by the likes of Donald Trump to attack journalists with whom he disagrees, the spread of disinformation indeed is a real threat on the web and social media. And the Middle East in particular is regarded as prime territory for fake news to cause further division and promote state-sponsored agendas. So what can established news organizations do to help consumers tell the difference between what is real and what is not? Mr. Angus tells us how the BBC is taking a proactive approach to curb the spread of fake news. Welcome, Jamie. Um, so what are the main concerns about the rise of fake news uh, from the BBC World Service Group's perspective, um, particularly in how it's affecting um, uh, news consumers here in the Middle East? Well, that's right. I mean, we see the fake news phenomenon coming up in different ways, different regions of the world. And often it affects elections, coverage of elections and political issues. In the US, it's become a a soap opera, if you like, of a completely different dimension because of the Trump presidency and his own battles with his own domestic media. But I suppose my overall case is that in many parts of the world, the proliferation of fake news has a really detrimental effect on people's lives, livelihood and economic well-being, particularly around security and national security, uh, where it's being used as a political tool uh, to manipulate populations who are sometimes under tension and sitting at tension with each other anyway. And we certainly see that in the Gulf, where there is a, a, a definite manipulation of news dimension to all the pre-existing tensions between different states and countries in this region. The BBC is probably best place in any other organisation in the world to kind of pick out these tendencies and trends. We operate in 41 different languages. We have a really well-developed Arabic service that broadcasts here and runs a digital news website here in the region, as well as our English language services. And so we see ourselves as having a role as calling out specific fake news stories here in the region and being able to reassure people with the kind of most trusted brand that sits behind BBC News as to what is real and what is not. It must be very difficult to, to spot um the idiosyncrasies of fake news. I mean, when, when was the BBC first aware of it becoming an issue, particularly for the BBC itself? Well, look, in a sense, this is an issue that's always been with us. And this idea of kind of propaganda and state-backed disinformation is is not, not a new phenomenon. But I think the rise of digital publishing and the prominence of people sharing news and information on social media has just made it that much more of acute. And I think very specifically, I'm worried at the moment about people mocking up fake BBC news stories. So one of the trends we're seeing at the moment is kind of people manipulating the BBC brand and sound and look and feel and putting their own fake stories up as passing them off as BBC news and then circulating those often on social media that aren't searchable. So I'm particularly interested in chat apps and how they're used to circulate news reports, because if a fake news report surfaces on a mainstream website or on a big platform like Google or Facebook, we can actually very often get them taken down pretty quickly. Um, but uh, fake news that circulates on chat apps is very hard to discover. You can't search it. You're just reliant on somebody sending it to you and saying, oh, look, you know, someone's passing this off as a fake BBC News report. And I think that's one of the things I'm particularly concerned about, not just for BBC News, but for everyone sharing news on chat apps and those kinds of social media. It's just, just be very, very cautious about what you share. And if it looks too good or inc- too incredible to be true, then there's probably a reason for that. Um, and what is the BBC doing um, specifically to try and counter these kind of uh, this rise of fake news? I mean, I know there's this uh, um, 
the BBC Reality Check tool, which looks like quite a useful um, thing people can use. And can you explain a bit about that and how that works? Yes, I mean, Reality Check is part of our commitment to what we're calling slow news, which is helping audiences understand the wider context behind daily news events, you know, the kind of the why as well as the what. And Reality Check is, again, where we can pick out specific international stories. Oh, this is for the BBC.com news website and call out sort of specific verifiable facts around stories where there are disputed facts. So we'll often sort of fact check a specific story because we think audiences expect that from us and don't expect the BBC to sit on the fence in the name of impartiality if there is a definite evidence base for, you know, one party being in the right and one party being the wrong. So no false equivalence is a, is a message we're receiving from audiences. But also we've done specific journalism work in this region. We'll be running a documentary on BBC Arabic and on the BBC World News Channel uh, next week called Weapons of Mass Deception, which is specifically about fake news stories circulating in the Gulf and the Middle East region. Because as I said to you at the start there, uh, we do see a tendency for fake news to be used as a part of a wide range of weapons in kind of hybrid warfare between different states. Uh, and we think that's a problem. And we think the BBC's got partly a role in calling that kind of thing out. Sure thing. Uh, trust is clearly a fan, you know, foundation of every news organisation. Uh, you mentioned fake news corrupting elections, Kenya, maybe even US and UK. What is the damage fake news is doing to the, the BBC brand specifically? I mean, is it having an impact there? Well, actually, I think overall, it's probably a good moment for the BBC, actually, because I think it reminds people to pivot back to organisations that they really trust to think about, you know, what's the most trusted news source that they can go to. And actually, not just for the BBC, for mainstream news organisations who have real demonstrable editorial independence and, and solid news values. There is a challenge to us in terms of, as I've explained, people passing off, you know, fake BBC reports and so on. Uh, but overall, I think it'll be a net benefit for us as audiences tend to come back in a, in a climate of suspicion. They will tend to come back to the news brands that they trust the most. Okay, good news for the national, hopefully. Um, I hope so too. <laughs> tech giants like Facebook and Google, you mentioned them early on in the conversation, Jamie. I mean, I mean do you think they're doing enough to counter this rise? I mean, they're, they're obviously they take up a huge... Um, part of how consumers get their news these days. I mean, are they doing enough? It's a very current issue, isn't it? And there's a, clearly a vibrant debate going on. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the one in the UK and also in the US uh, around Facebook recently, particularly these these public Facebook hearings, talking to Facebook, but also to Google and YouTube and others uh, and Twitter about how how quickly are they able to respond to when 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 misinformation is reported on their platforms and how can they take it down? And I think that speaks to the fact that these massive tech platforms which originally just saw themselves as kind of platforms to connect people as kind of social platforms really have taken on the role of publishers in the news climate and whether they want that tag or not they probably don't want the regulatory burden that goes with that but in a sense they're now being obliged by regulators in national markets to account for themselves and you know uh, to be fair to them uh, you know a lot of them now investing significant sums in uh, you know promoting uh, online journalism initiatives in taking down fake news when it's brought to their attention but as I think I've indicated in this conversation a lot of the problems are on unregulated platforms outside of those big three or four that people don't talk about so much if you, people are sharing information on telegram or whatsapp that's a different set of issues much harder to regulate sure I mean our listeners want to know who the main instigators are of uh, this fake news who are these uh, fake news fraudsters and where is this coming from would you say well, it's a mixture of different things, isn't it? I mean, there's clearly an element of the fake news debate where people are essentially just doing it for money. So there's an ad fraud model where people are just trying to generate clicks on online articles uh, just to, to produce advertising revenue. And I suppose there's a, an element of fake news which is about 
people passing themselves off as genuine news sites when they're actually very highly partisan, politically or nationally motivated comment, you know, and they they don't hold the sort of same independent news values that big news organisations do, but they are acting in a legitimate but different way. They're not reporting news facts. They're reporting very highly sort of opinionated content. But there's a kind of third more more sort of toxic form of fake news and disinformation, which is state-backed disinformation or it's backed by state or quasi-state bodies. And often that is to ferment uh, to to ferment trouble, to ferment tensions in pre-existing uh, situations where there's tension between two communities or two religious groups, for example. And often that can be wrapped up in the geopolitics of a region. And certainly we've seen a lot, we've t- spoken a lot about, you know, the role of Russia in, uh, you know, Russian hackers and Russian bot accounts in promoting the rise of fake news in a number of news stories right around the world. And I suppose that what that tells you is how interconnected the world's become in, the, in its news media, that states, not even states in a particular region, can often have an interest in a regional dispute many thousands of miles away. And that's why everyone's just got to be really, really careful about what they click, what they consume, and what they share amongst them and their friends. Sure. Uh, Technology and artificial intelligence is evolving at a rapid rate. One interesting development we've seen in the last few months is how um, speeches of uh, dead people have been able to be reenacted. For example, JFK's speech that he was to make on the day he was assassinated was was, uh, constructed. Uh, Is that a concern in the future of how people's voices could then be copied, almost like Photoshop for audio? Is that a concern as well? for? for So you've probably seen the same thing of me, which is the, you know, President Obama mocked up saying something that he isn't saying online. I mean, this is interesting, isn't it? Because uh, again, these are sort of creative tools that have a legitimate use, but their use in 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 a fake news context is really, really pernicious. And it just challenges people to constantly be be think second guessing what they're thinking what they're seeing on in the news media all the time and i think this is why the kind of trusted news brands thing is so important because people can, can just rely on news brands they can trust not to do this kind of stuff and if they see it circulating under an unknown news brand or with no visible branding behind it at all then they should really ask themselves questions about the quality and trustworthiness of what they see Sure. Now, BBC World Service has an audience, I think, it's around about 350 million last it is, count, yes. around about there. Yep. How do you see the, um, the service evolving in the future, in the near future, to provide a, a much broader service for consumers? Well, it's really interesting that the, the sort of switch into the digital world is clearly happening at great pace. But at the same time, our linear audiences on TV and on radio are, in fact, growing and not declining. So I think like any news organisation, we've been greatly concerned with investing in digital. We're undergoing a kind of real digital transformation of the world service. A lot of the language services we broadcast in are digital first or digital only platforms. But uh, although, you know, the BBC.com news website is very important to us uh, and will continue to develop and expand, we also see growing audiences for things like the BBC World News TV channel. And I think if there was a feeling, you know, five and ten years ago that TV news channels had had their day and were going to go into swift decline to be matched by the rise of, I'm I'm waving a smartphone at you, uh, you know, platforms that publish solely on tablets and smartphones i think we're seeing slightly different that we're seeing our linear audiences continuing to rise as there's sort of global interest in big news stories north korea donald trump the royal wedding whatever it is and uh, but at the same time people are also starting to pivot into digital first usage and for every news organization like ours you have to be ready to switch very quickly from one to another but at the moment we're very very happy to be growing audiences for the linear services on radio and tv as well thanks very much thanks Jamie. Thank you very much.